morning, Kavanaugh. Welcome into the Lord's house. Will you stand with us? Blessed be the name of the Lord.
blessed be the name, the name above all other names, the name of Jesus. Amen. You all can be seated for about 20 seconds. All right, I'll allow it. It's good to see you guys. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us this morning here at Kavanaugh Church. Those online, thanks for tuning in. It's awesome. If you're a guest, welcome. We're very, very glad that you're here. Big game tonight. Who's going to watch it? Raise your hand. Super Bowl. Good. How about, uh, any Chiefs fans in the house? Anyone? All right. Well, you, your team's going to lose. So, anyways, <laughs> it's good. I know. I'm more excited. Let, I'm, let me be honest. I'm more excited about the food that I'm going to eat than either team playing. Uh, my, I don't have a team in it, but it is what it is, all right? So, now the 20 seconds is over. You guys can all stand. It's good. Again, so thankful that you're here, and God truly is going to do some awesome things here today. I'm ready. I hope you're ready, and let's pray and ask his blessing on our services this morning. Bow with me. Lord, we love you. Again, thank you so much for bringing us all back together as your kids, as your church, God. Lord, uh, prepare the way for us in this message. Go before us and, and be uh, ready to receive us, God. I pray that our hearts are open. Uh, we can be the people that you want us to be. Be with Brother Will as he brings the word, help him to speak clearly, um, and, and, and just bring, bring it home for us today. We love you in your name. Amen. Let's continue to worship.
team is doing a Bible study, and uh, in the Bible study this week, we came across a scripture found in Psalm 34, and I'd like to read it to you. It's Psalm 34, verse 8. It says, Oh, taste and see how good the Lord is. The one who takes refuge in him is truly happy. And so the discussion was, how do you taste and see the Lord is good? And um, in the book, it described that you're being presented, the analogy of being presented with a plate of beautiful food. And when the food is brought in front of you, you might say, wow, that looks amazing. <laughs> and it may even come highly recommended by the chef. But right now, you're just looking at the food. And you can't experience it just by someone telling you, wow, this is so good. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you're like me when you say, well, so you've got to try this, right? You've got to try this. So you're never going to experience that food, whether it's good or whether it's bad, until you taste it, right? Right. It's the same thing with God's goodness. And more than anything, we want for you to taste the goodness for yourself. We want you to taste and see that the Lord is good, that you will know him and experience him the way that we do, the goodness of God. Oh, 
praise you this morning for your goodness. And Lord, it's our prayer. If there's anyone under the sound of my voice, whether online or in this room, that hasn't tasted your goodness, that today would be their day. Let them know. Break down barriers and break down fears of people to be able to take that step forward in faith and just to trust you that you are good. We love you and give you praise. In Jesus' name. so good. Love him and appreciate him so much. Uh, Matthew Nichols. Is Matthew in the house? We got Matthew Nichols anywhere? Where's, where's Matthew at? He, there he is. Come down here, buddy. Come on down here. Run down as fast as you can. I need Matthew Nichols down here. Matthew um, has been wrestling since he was in his mother's womb, I believe. And uh, he's, uh, he's become just a phenom wrestler and uh, a great, great young man, has a, has a great testimony in the Lord. And uh, come on down here, Matthew. Look at him coming down. Man, give Matthew a big hand. You don't even know why yet, but I'm about to, about to let you know why. Matthew uh, has, uh, has been wrestling for, I don't know, his whole life. And yesterday, he became the Arkansas State Champion wrestler in his age group and his weight division for, listen to this, for the eighth time. He's an 8P, 8 state champions. Man, dude, that's awesome, dude. Hey, look, look how cool he is about it. It, 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 it. it ain't no big deal, man. Here's, here's why I want to bring him down here so you can see him and know who he is. Look at him right here. And, and after church, go ahead and get his autograph because one day it's going to be worth a lot of money, right? Proud of you, man. Give him a big hand, Matthew Nichols right there. Love that young man. Eight times. Can you believe that? Eight times state champion wrestler. Eight times. Dude, that is awesome. Hey, I want to begin with a, a little uh, ballistic commercial here. My sermon is entitled Better Than a 22. And uh, do y'all see what I have right here in my hand? Can y'all see that? It's a, it's a little 22 piece of ammunition, long rifle, 22. Uh, these things are hard to come by. Did you, know that, did you know that in America right now, we, we are facing an ammunition shortage like never before? Did you know that? You can't go into a sporting goods store or a gun store and just freely buy ammunition anymore because they're, they're backlogged. They, they don't have, they're not making enough ammunition. And if that's not bad enough for those of us who reload ourselves, we can't buy the components to build ammunition. You can't get primers, casings, powder, bullets. It's, it's unavailable. And we don't know when this is coming to an end, so it really is frightening, all right? Now, a little 22 long rifle is one of the smallest and really is one of the cheapest pieces of ammunition that you can buy, but in this day and time, that's a little piece of gold dust right there, man, because they're just hard to find. Can, can, oh, there we go. Hey, look, there you go. You can see it, can't you? Now, some people say that uh, 22s are really easy to shoot and uh, they make a good target gun because you can hit the target easily with the 22. Would anyone agree with that? 
Okay, I will agree that they're easy to shoot because there's absolutely no recoil in shooting a 22, so you can keep your barrel on the target. Compared to, and I'm showing you this one, this is a 45 long Colt. It's a much bigger uh, piece of ammunition. The, the casing is larger. The, there's more powder in the casing. The, the bullet or the lead is much larger. And uh, those, those who are expert shooters say that in reality, it's easier to hit a target with a big bullet like this, even though there is much more recoil. And recoil is this, when you pull the trigger, the gun goes, boom, it pulls back. That's recoil. But they say, Bob Munden says, that you can hit a target easier with this because you're shooting much more mass out of the end of the barrel. There's a lot more lead than this. So if that is true, you know what? If you're going to hit a target with a 22, you got to be a pretty good shot. And you're saying, where in the world is this going? Well, it's, it's, a, it's name of my sermon, Better Than a 22. And I want to start by telling you this very intriguing story about two brothers, William and Kenneth Gale. They grew up in the West during the Dust Bowl years. They were brothers. They, they lived on this big ranch, but they were, they were just poor, poor ranchers. Their, their dad worked on the ranch, and they lived literally in a boxcar on this ranch. The problem was the land around them. The prairie was infested with rattlesnakes. Okay. One day, William and Kenneth were going to go rabbit hunting. And so Kenneth has the 22 rifle. He's in the lead. William, his brother, is behind him. They're walking down a, a furrow of a, of a row there in the field, and they both hear a rattlesnake. And about that time, William feels a tug on his trousers, and he turns around to see this rattlesnake who has struck his trousers is now recoiling to strike again. And William says, shoot him, Kenneth. And the gun goes, bang. And Kenneth says, I got him. But William is watching this rattlesnake as he recalls and says, no, you didn't. Shoot again. <laughs> and he hears bang for the second time. And Kenneth says, I got him. And William is watching this snake. His eyes are red on the snake's eyes. And he said, no, you didn't. <laughs> Shoot again. And bang went the gun for the third time. This time, William saw that the snake was hit right in the head, and it knocked him back several yards. When the boys caught their breath, they looked around to discover there had been three rattlesnakes, all within 10 feet of where they stood. And Kenneth had shot all three of them in the head with a 22. Pretty good shot. Pretty good shot. So when I read that story, true story, I thought of two things. Number one, I thought of the day when I was just a little boy and my granddaddy Whitmire took me rabbit hunting in a field outside of Midland, Texas, where there were rattlesnakes. And we stirred a rattlesnake up and it started rattling and was ready to strike. And my granddad said to me, who was holding the 12-gauge shotgun, shoot it, son. And without putting the shotgun on my shoulder, I shot the shotgun, killed the rattlesnake, Stacy, but I landed on my backside, all right? The second thing I thought of is, how horrible would it be raising your kids on a piece of land that is infested with rattlesnakes? Wouldn't that be horrible? And then it dawned on me, that's exactly what we're doing. Because the serpent, who is the devil, 
is all around us. And every day, he sets devilish traps for our kids and our families. What a horrible time to be raising children or building families. Because the devil is everywhere setting traps for us. So here's what we need to do, parents and grandparents. We need to make sure that our kids are loaded with the right ammunition. And I'm not talking about 22 long rifle bullets. What I'm talking about is the Word of God. This is the ammunition that they need. And they need it in their hearts. We need to teach our children and our teenagers to memorize the Word of God. And one of the best verses that you can memorize as a kid is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. But you know what? As I read that verse this week, I realized that verse is not just for kids or for teenagers. If, if you're a young adult, you need this verse as well. It's, it's all about overcoming temptation. Because here's what I figured, that by the time you're 35 or 40 years old, you're not out of the woods. Those serpents are still rattling around you. And you need this ammunition in your life as well. And then it dawned on me. Those of us who are past middle age, <laughs> temptations never stop. And so we need to be loaded with the right ammunition even in our older years. And 1 Corinthians 10, 13, as I think that the best verse we can have, here it is, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I didn't make the first service people do this, but I'm going to ask you to stand up. Would you stand up? And let's read this verse together, okay? I'm going to read it real slow, and you just repeat it and read it as we read it together. You ready, church? 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may, may be able to bear it. Now, you did good. I messed up at the end. But give yourself a big hand. What a great verse. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. What a tremendous verse that we need to memorize and hide in our heart as ammunition against the serpent, the devil, and the temptations that he sends. You know, sometimes we're guilty of pulling a verse out of the Bible and, and, and just isolating that verse without really knowing what's before it and after it, taking it sometimes even out of context. I don't want to be guilty of that this morning. So what I want to do is show you this verse within the context. And literally, it is in a paragraph of Scripture that begins in chapter 9, verse 24, when Paul talks about his own personal experience. That's how he introduces this verse on temptation, by giving his own personal experience. So let's look at chapter 9, beginning in verse 24. He says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may be able to obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now, to obtain a perishable crown, but we do it to obtain an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty, Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body, and I bring it into subjection, lest 
when I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now, we know that Paul was a big sports fan. I'm sure that if he were living today, he would be watching the big game tonight, right? He refers to, to athletic competition all through his writings, and here he is referring to what was known as the Isthmian Games. Every three years, young athletes from all over the Greek-speaking world would gather on this isle outside of Corinth, the Isle of Ismith, and they would run this race. They would have the Isthmian Games. And these young athletes would come in nine months before the games, and they would have to sign documentation saying that they were going to give themselves to discipline training, that they would refrain from eating certain foods and involving themselves in certain activities. They were isolating themselves on training for this particular race. And after nine months of training, they would run the race. And Paul is using this as an example to the Christian life. He said, just like these young athletes train themselves and discipline themselves for the race, so I am training myself and disciplining my body so as to win the most important race in life, and that is the race of faith. And he said, not one time in this race can I slow down or look behind me or give an inch. It takes everything that I can give so as to win the race. You take that and couple it with our memory verse, and you're beginning to get the vivid picture that this veteran Christian is giving. Paul, the greatest missionary who has ever lived. Paul, the same guy who wrote most of the New Testament. He is worried that in the last half of his Christian life that he stumble and fall into temptation. And... mess his life up. He says, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to keep my eyes on the finish line. I'm going to keep persevering. I'm going to keep training. Even as I grow older in the faith, I'm going to give it all that I have because I've gone too far to give up now. I got a preacher friend who uh, pastored this huge church in a different state, and I've heard him speak several times at different conferences, and, and I love it when he tells the story of the temptress. It's the story about this lady who came to his church, and, and she first showed up and would sit on the first, second, or third pew of this massive sanctuary that Angie and I have been in, and, and after a few weeks, the, the preacher kind of noticed her. She was sitting there, very attractive lady, and she had her Bible and notebook, and she was taking notes, and, and she greeted him out in the hallways and, and said what a marvelous message this was and how it really spoke to her heart. After a few weeks, she, she made an appointment to go to his office and, and meet him, and so she introduced herself, and she said stuff like this, I, I have heard some of the greatest preachers in our generation, and you are better than any of them. You are teaching me so much from the Word of God, and I'm so glad that God has brought me to this church, and I'm now under your ministry. And, and, and my preacher friend said, you know what? I was just eating it all up. This attractive woman's complimenting my preaching. And then he said, I got to noticing when I would go to other churches in the area and speak, she would show up. She kind of became a groupie. <laughs> she was following me around. 
And I would see her constantly everywhere. And she became very casual in her conversations with me. And he said, one Wednesday night, it all culminated. It was after the service, and there's a dark corridor going from the rear of the sanctuary back up to his office. And he said, I was in that dark corridor, and I saw her standing there. And as I walked by her, she propositioned me. She said, I know that you know I'm attracted to you, and I believe that you're attracted to me. And we can, we can do this thing, and nobody has to know about it. He called her the temptress. He really believes the devil sent her there to tempt him. And here's what my friend did. He said, no, ma'am, that's not going to happen. You need to leave this church right now and never talk to me again. He hurried to his office. The first thing he did was call the chairman of his board, who was his accountability partner, and said, I need you in my office now. <laughs> Chairman of the board came to the office, and my preacher friend laid everything out, told him the whole story. And here's what he said to his accountability partner, the chairman of the board. He said, I've come too far in the Christian life. I've come too far in the faith. I've come too far in my ministry. I've come too far in this church to lose it all now. And I'm not going to mess up. And I need your help. And the chairman of his board said, Preacher, you got it. He said, I'll talk to the other elders, and you will not leave your office and walk any hall of this church without one of us by your side. <laughs> and he said, I will have a personal conversation with this lady. I don't know if he called her the she-devil or not, but I mean, it's a pretty good, pretty good term. He said, and we're going to work it out. And, and they did. My preacher goes on to end the story. He said he went home and, and told everything to his wife. She wasn't nearly as sympathetic as his board chairman was when she heard the story. But do you get what he's saying? It's the same thing that the Apostle Paul says, a veteran Christian. I've come too far with Jesus to stumble now. I've got to be careful every moment of every day that I don't fall into temptation. Because here's the deal. The devil is setting traps for you. And I don't care who you are. How long you've been saved, what your testimony is, if you're not careful, you can mess up. And that's how he begins chapter 10, by describing a group of people who did mess up, the children of Israel. Look at verse 1 of chapter 10. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Who he's talking about are the children of Israel as they left Egyptian captivity. He's referring back to Exodus chapter 13 and 14. And he's talking about that great pillar of cloud that led them every day that then turned into a great pillar of fire at night. And it hovered above them, went before them. When the cloud moved, they moved. When the pillar of fire moved, they moved. When it stopped, they stopped. This great pillar of fire led them through the Red Sea, through the wilderness. It represented the grace of God. It was God's grace on them. And they saw that every single day. It was the mighty presence of God. And it was fantastic. They got to see God's presence through this cloud and through this fire. It was a fantastic experience that they witnessed with their eyes. And then he goes on and says this in verse 2. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud 
and into the sea. That is, they were united through their leader, Moses, to God. Remember Moses? He's the guy that went up on the mountain and had a face-to-face conversation with God. God talked to Moses. And then Moses came down from the mountain. His face was shining. And he told the people what God said to him. So the people had a direct word from God through their leader, Moses. So the people were connected to God. They heard directly from God via Moses. Then he says this in verses 3 and 4. They all ate the same spiritual food and they drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them and that rock was Christ. So he goes on to, to talk about another miracle they experienced every day. There were millions of the children of Israel out in the wilderness. What in the world were they going to eat? What would be their daily diet? Well, God provided miraculously. When they stepped out of their tent every morning, on the desert floor was this stuff called manna. And all they had to do is skip, scoop it up. And if they scooped up the right amount, they would have enough manna for that day. Not to worry, the next morning there would be more manna. And for 40 years, every day, they ate manna off the desert floor. It just appeared. It was a miracle. How did they drink? They were in the wilderness, the desert. Well, water came out of a rock. And they got to drink that water. And now Paul is telling us that rock represented Jesus Christ who gives living water. Can I go back to a word I used a moment ago? This is fantastic. These people are seeing the miraculous. They are experiencing something that is absolutely fantastic. They are seeing the fantastic, amazing grace of God. They are receiving fantastic blessings every day. But you know what? After they received all of these blessings and after they saw God like no one else had seen God, they still messed up. Look at verse 5. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered over the desert. So let me pause and put all this together. We have two examples given to us of veteran believers. Paul had traveled the entire Roman Empire. He had faithfully preached the gospel. He had established churches. He was writing the New Testament. And yet he says, you know what? It is still possible for me to mess up. Even after all the victories I've had in the past, I could mess up today if I'm not paying attention to how I'm living my life. The Israelites, they traveled out of Egypt. They were led by the literal cloud and glory of God. They had walked through the Red Sea. <laughs> they had eaten manna off the desert floor. They had, they had drank water from the rock. But it was still possible for them to mess up, and they did mess up. This passage isn't just addressed to new Christians or immature believers. This passage is addressed to mature believers. To veteran believers, no matter who you are, if you're not paying attention, you too can mess up. That's why he says in verse 6, now these things occurred as what? Examples. To keep us from setting our hearts on evil things just like they did. Can, can I just say this? 
History is not bad. And you don't need to be erasing history. Let that sink in. Yeah. You need to read history, study history, learn from history so that you don't make the same mistakes. That is exactly what Paul is saying here. This all happened as an example for you. And then he goes on to give four very specific warnings of how these temptations can come into our life and lead to sin. The first one is in verse 7. He's talking about idolatry. He says, do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink, and they got up to indulge in pagan revelry. This is a reference back to Exodus chapter 32. Moses is up on the mountain. The people are down there with Aaron the priest, and Moses doesn't come down for days and weeks, and, and the people become restless, and they say, he ain't coming back. Our God has forsaken us. Aaron, make us a God. Aaron, Aaron does so. He, he blames the people and says to Moses later, they forced me into doing this. But he got all their gold rings and their earrings, and he made them a molten golden calf. And they worshiped that idol. Now, we may not think of ourselves as idol worshipers, but you got to go back and remember what an idol is. An idol is just not a golden calf. An idol is anything that comes between you and God. An idol is anything that hinders your spiritual growth. I like to say an idol could be any person, any place, or anything that comes between you and your relationship with God. It could be a person, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a husband, a wife, a kid. They're all great and you need to love them, but don't put them before God. It could be a place, your, your house, skiing, the mountains, the beach. You, you could love that more than you love God. It could be a thing. Now I'm really getting personal, aren't I? It could be a car, a boat, a gun, <laughs> ammunition. Anything that comes between you and God could become your idol. The second illustration he gives is immorality. Look at verse 8. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. This reference is back to Numbers chapter 25. In verse 1, it tells us that the men of Israel committed harlotry with the women of Moab. They were having sexual relations with these pagan women. Two problems with that. Number one, God says you will not intermarry or have relationships with the people of this land. Don't intermarry with them, rule number one. Rule number two, sex is only for one man, one woman, united in holy matrimony. And anything outside of the bonds of marriage is a sin. You might say, well, yeah, preacher, you're just making big to-do about, about nothing in our world today. Oh, really? My goodness, I'm, I'm telling you, we, we have all been conditioned by the TV shows that we watch in our living room and the movies that we go to to believe that sleeping together with someone else outside of marriage is something that is normal or acceptable or even desirable. And I've got to be the one who stands up here in front of you and tells you, no, it's not. It doesn't matter what our culture says is right or wrong. The authority of God's word says it is wrong. It is a sin. Any sex outside of the marriage covenant, which is one man, one woman for life, is sin. 
I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of anybody in this room who has been tempted by immorality. But can I tell you, that snake is all around us. That snake is all around us. And even though you're happily married, doesn't mean the temptation is going to go away. Nobody's brave enough to say amen to that, but that's true. And even though you may be older in life, it doesn't go away. Be careful. The third illustration he uses is from verse 9. It comes from the Old Testament passage in Numbers 21. It says, we should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by what? Snakes. There's those cotton-picking snakes again. The people put God to the test. You might say, well, what, what does it mean to, to test the Lord? I, I don't comprehend that. Can I just add a word that I think will help us understand? What it's talking about is testing the Lord's patience. How many of you as a, as a parent have ever said to your kids, you're testing my patience? <laughs> yeah. And we do that to God as well. We, we do that to the Lord as, as we continue pushing the boundaries of what's right in our lives and testing the limits of his grace and just seeing how much we can get away with. And it's a sin. And then number four is grumbling. Grumbling? Are you kidding me? Well, verse 10 says, And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. This is a reoccurring motif in the lives of the children of Israel. They didn't just grumble one time. They grumbled all the time. I've known some church people like that, but I'm not, I'm not naming any names. How remarkably easy it comes to us to grumble and complain about things, though. I mean, we're perpetual grumblers. To us, we think we got a right to grumble because we have our opinion. We have our desires, our wants, and when those are not fulfilled, what do we do? We grumble. But you've got to see how the Bible deals with this. The Bible puts grumbling right up there with idolatry and immorality and testing God. Four great sins that can fall into the life of any believer, whether you're a new convert or a veteran Christian. We tolerate things that hinder our spiritual growth. That's idolatry. We tolerate sexual experience outside of marriage. That's immorality. We test the patience of God by our carelessness and our selfishness. We grumble and complain, and we develop bad, sour attitudes. These are all things that Paul says can disqualify us as effective servants of Jesus. And they can strike us even after we faithfully followed the Lord for years. These things can raise up their ugly heads and strike us even when we've preached the gospel, even when we've started churches, even when we've followed the cloud by day and the fire by night, even when we've walked through the Red Sea, even when we've eaten manna off the desert floor, even when we have drank water coming from the rock. It can happen to us. And that's where Paul goes with this. Not only does he talk about his own personal experience and Israel's experience, he finishes by talking about our experience. Look at verse 11. These things happen to them as, what's that word again? Examples. 
And they were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So here's this red flag he's waving again. The second time he's doing it, he says, pay attention to this. This is really important. Don't just breeze over it. Think about this. This all happened so that you can learn from it and that it not happened to you. He says in verse 12, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful so you don't fall. If you think it's not going to bother you, watch out, because it can bother you. If you think you're the very one who is exempt from this temptation, watch out, because the devil's got your name. I told the first service people I, I had this naive thought when I was young in ministry that I would finally reach a point in my Christian maturity when all of this would become easy. That writing sermons would become easy, that preaching would become easy, that living for the Lord would be easy, that a discipleship would be easy, that I would no longer face physical temptations, that I could grow above those. You know what? I've been wrong on every count because it doesn't get easier. In fact, it becomes more difficult. And if you think you're exempt from it, you're the one who needs to hear this passage of scripture. And behind this great backdrop of illustrations, we have our memory verse. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. Let me do a real quick timeout before we go on. What he says here is this. All of us are subject to temptation. If you are alive, if you're alive, raise your hand, please. Raise your hand. Right? That means all of us are going to be tempted. If you're alive, you're breathing, you're going to be tempted. You're, you're, there's no free pass from temptation. And let me say this it's not a sin to be tempted. It's no sin to be tempted. I mean, I, I kind of look at, at temptation sometimes as, as kind of a, you know what, okay. At least I'm living for the Lord. If I wasn't living for the Lord, the devil wouldn't tempt me. Are you with me? So all of us are going to be tempted, and on top of that, this verse tells us we're all tempted by the same temptations. It's common to all of us. Now, the devil may present it differently. He may dress it up differently when he presents it to Jason rather than when he presents it to me, but, but it's the same temptation in the core. So you're not dealing with anything none of the rest of us has dealt with or will deal with. And the word for temptations means testing, trial, temptation. It can be a set of circumstances that serves to test our faith when God is behind it or a temptation against our soul when the devil is behind it. This is the word used when the devil tempted Jesus in the wilderness. It's the same word that Jesus taught when he taught us to pray Lead us not into temptation. In the garden, Jesus told his disciples to watch and pray lest they fall into temptation. And what did he say then? He said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And let me tell you, it is. Here's what I've discovered. We have this fallen nature inside of us. Everybody know what I'm talking about? And even though I'm saved, that, that, that sinful nature is still there. 
It hasn't gone away. My body's not been glorified. So there is a sinful nature inside of us, and there is a fallen society around us. Sinful nature inside, fallen society around. And these two things are like magnets that want to stick to each other. That sinful nature inside of me wants to connect with this sinful fallen world around me. And that never goes away. The attraction sometimes gets stronger. But here's what the Word of God says. No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. But, I love this part, but God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Oh, I'm so thankful for that. There's a limit. God knows where my limit is. And he's going to cut the devil off before we get to that limit. But will with the temptation also provide the way of escape, the way out so that you can bear it or stand up underneath it. That's worth a big amen, isn't it? I like that little phrase, the way out or the way of escape. That is the same phrase or word that is used in other places of Greek literature to describe the the escape of or the departure out of a canyon. Okay? Now, I told the first service people again, I read Louis Lamar books every night before I go to bed. That's read one chapter out of a Louis Lamar book every night before. I got all the Louis Lamar books that have ever been written. I have read all of them at least half a dozen times. I, I mean, I know them. When I start reading the first page, I know what's going to happen, but I, I can't help it. I just read them every night. I'm just like my granddaddy Whitmire. He read Louis Lamar's before he went to bed. So anyway, in every Louis Lamar book, there's going to be a cowboy who's down in a canyon. And the bad guys are coming, and there's no escape out of that canyon because there, there's, there's these walls, canyon walls, and you can't get out of this enclosed box canyon. But if you look hard enough, there's going to be an animal track up there, deer track. Back in Palestine, it may have been a wild goat track. But if you look closely enough, there is a way out. You've just got to find the way out, take the way out. And that's the promise God gives us. With every temptation, God is faithful. God is going to provide this way of escape. All you've got to do is take the way of escape. And can I tell you the easiest way to know where that way of escape is, is just walk hand in hand with Jesus. Jesus is our escape. You take the hand of Jesus, you live so close to Jesus every single day that when that temptation comes, all you got to do is just whisper over, okay, Lord, show me the way out. And he's pointing to it. Isn't that great? There it is within the context. Oh, yeah, there's one more verse that we don't need to miss, and that's verse number 14. What does it say? Therefore, my dear friends, flee. Flee from idolatry. Did you know it's easier just to avoid temptation than to resist temptation? Hmm. There are some locations that you're more apt to be tempted in than others. You know what you need to do? You need to avoid those, te- those places. There are some places that are not good for you to go. Just don't go there. Stay out of those places. Tonight we do get to watch a, a great football game. I'm excited about watching the Super Bowl. I, I, do just, I just love watching people compete and 
athletic events. Here, here's something that kind of gets me, you know, all, all these famous athletes are, are paid way too much. Are you with me? And they, they have almost like cult followings, and they have these mega contracts, and then they go off and do just the, some of the craziest stuff. You know, you, you hear about these great athletes that have millions of fans and multi-million dollar contracts, and they're in strip bars, and they get in a fight, or somebody gets killed, or they're in dog fights, and they get thrown out of the NFL because of it. And you're thinking to yourself, why would you do that? Why would you risk this prestige, all of these fans, this big contract, by doing something that is so silly as that? Can I tell you something? We do the same thing. We do the exact same things. We go places that we don't need to go. We're around things that we don't need to be around. It, it could be an entertainment venue. It could be a girlfriend or boyfriend's apartment. It could be a computer screen. It could be a night spot. It, it, it's kind of like the, the man who came and told his doctor that he had broken his arm in two places. <laughs> the doctor looked at him and says, well, don't go back to those two places. You've got to, you've got to kind of think about that to get it. I mean, call it strategic avoidance. And I think missionary Jim Elliott was so correct when he advised, don't put yourself in a position to see how good your resistance is. When you feel the temptation coming, get out of there. Run. We, we talked about that last week, didn't we? So what Joseph did, he ran. Remember at the beginning of my sermon last week, I was talking about Josh Turner's song, The Long Black Train, and the testimony he gave about that song. It's all about temptation and avoiding temptation and not getting on that long black train. And here's what Josh Turner said. He said, if I could add one thing to it, it is this. Don't walk away from temptation. Run away from temptation. He said, if you walk away, you're giving yourself time to think about it. And that's not a good place to be. Run from temptation. And I've got to say the same thing to you. We need to flee idolatry. We need to flee everything that hinders you in any way with your walk with Jesus Christ. Don't walk into rattlesnake-infested territory. Stay out of it. So, are you still there? Because I'm almost done. I'm just going to bring everything together, wrap it up, and give it to you in a package. Here's what this passage is saying. Paul is saying, you know what? I'm a veteran believer. I've lived for the Lord all these years. I, I was trained in the Word of God. I met Jesus Christ on the Damascus Road. He radically changed my life. I have faithfully preached the gospel to thousands of people. I have started numerous churches. But now, even in my old age, I am more careful than I've ever been because I don't want to stumble and fall right before the finish line. You know, that, that reminded me of track season. Okay? Track season is almost here. Uh, some high school uh, programs have already had one indoor track meet, but in March, the outdoor track meets start. I, I can remember as, as a parent bringing up kids, we, our year was defined by whatever sporting event it was, all right? And we sat through, I don't know how many track meets, but way too many of them. And it is an event. A track meet is an event. You go for four or five hours to watch your kid run 18 seconds. In all kinds of climate, you know, cold, hot, windy, rain, doesn't matter. You're there. You're there. I, I can remember 
two track meets that I was at, one of them was a state championship, where the athletes were running the track in a race. It was a close race. It was almost to the finish line. And the person in the lead, the person right ahead of the second or third place runner, would lean their body forward as they were running to go across the finish line. With every, I even saw one kid just dive. He just dove across the finish line thinking he would get there faster. But I've seen numerous. Have you seen athletes do this? Finish line is here. They'll start, they'll start leaning way back here. Just go across like this. Here's what I've, I've seen it twice. That as they leaned, they got top heavy. And they fell right before the finish line. They forfeited the race because they fell. The person right behind, they finished in front of them. Now, how tragic. How sad. That's what Paul is saying. I don't want to have happen in my life. I don't want to trip right before the finish line. I, I don't want to forfeit my faith right before the big event. Because this race is too important. These athletes at the Isthmian Games, they're running for celery wreath crowns. I'm running for the crown of life. And I don't want to forfeit my faith. I don't want to mess up. And, and by the way, he says, you can mess up. It's documented in the history of Israel. They saw God. They ate from the hand of God. They fellowshiped with God. They were as close to God as anyone has ever been. And yet they messed up. So be aware. And I'm saying this to you, my friends. Be aware. Pay attention. You're not exempt from temptation. Oh, it's going to happen. Dude, it's going to happen before the day's over. It may even happen before you get home. That's the devil, the serpent. He's ready to strike you. And I don't want you to get bitten. It's not a sin to be tempted. It's a sin if you fall into that temptation. And get this, you don't have to sin. How do I know that? God's provided a way of escape. <laughs> You've just got to take it. I'm going to ask that everyone stand to their feet with their heads bowed. Those watching online, you can do the same thing. I'd like for the place you're standing to become your altar. And you just commit yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I don't know what temptations you're facing, but I know you're facing real life temptations. They are real to you. The devil's trying to take you down. So would you just give the Lord your life, give him this temptation, and ask him for his help in finding the way of escape. If you're listening to me this morning and you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, would you please do that? Just say a simple prayer and ask Jesus to come into your heart. Heavenly Father, I pray for those who need to be saved today. May they just believe in faith and ask you to come into their heart. Lord, for the rest of us who are believers, help us to, to realize that the devil is after us. And help us, dear Lord, to avoid, resist temptation. And even if the temptation comes, dear Lord, help us to take that way of escape. Thank you for this word that you've given us in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I pray, dear Lord, that we would memorize this scripture, that we would hide it in our heart, that as parents and grandparents, we would teach it.
to our children. Dear Lord, help us. Give us the strength to live for you. Help us to remember greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. 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 Just be seated for a moment, would you? And I want to share just a couple of things with you, and and then we'll dismiss you. Um, When you leave today, make sure you mask up. We're still masking up in the hallways. As you walk out the door, we have the black offering boxes you can drop your offering in. I just want to say again, thank you for giving and being faithful to give during this pandemic. Uh, Your giving is, is inspiring to me and to our church. Thank you for your gifts. Continue to pray for our new building. Uh, it's Boy, I tell you, it's progressing, looking good over there. Uh, go walk through it if you'd like to, and, and, uh, and we're going to do a video where I can show you the things that are in it and talk to you about it, but it really is coming along. Pray with me about three things. Number one, that we would get it finished. Number two, that we'd get it funded. And number three, that God would fill it up with people. And this pandemic would end, and when we get in that new building this summer, that people are coming back to church, and we have a full house. Wouldn't that be great? Praying for that, looking forward to it. Pray with us also that our property that we own in Raleigh Farm would sell. Uh, we desperately need that to, uh, to sell, so God's got somebody out there who needs it. Uh, let's just pray that the Lord connect them with us. Tonight, we will not have online Bible study, all right? On Super Bowl nights, we, we usually forego that Bible study. It will pick up again next Sunday night, but not tonight. 7 o'clock on Wednesday, we're going to be both uh, in person and online for our services and our activities. I, I tell you this all the time. I don't want it just to become repetitive because I mean it. You're loved by our staff. As your pastor, I love you. But most of all, God loves you. He really, really does. So walk with him this week. And remember, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You're dismissed.